Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Design of Experience. Apparently, it is by design. 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 Conversations about the ideas that make us feel a tribal devotion to the things we love. So I am here today again with Steve and Matt. What's up? Good afternoon. When we got this podcast up and running last year, we spent a fair amount of time figuring out what our mission was. So we landed on this idea of tribal devotion. And as we've explored that idea throughout all these podcasts and in person with our clients and through workshops, we all of a sudden came to a tough question. Should every brand pursue tribal devotion? Can you expect tribal devotion or is that a worthwhile expenditure of resources and energy uh, when maybe you're in an industry that is purely a commodity or the type of business that people don't ever really love they just expect it to work all the time like for example your cell phone company can you hear me now How many people really, really love their cell phone carrier? Or are we just only aware of them when something's wrong or we don't understand our bill or we're roaming and we don't have a signal and then we're like, daggone it. So is it realistic for a cell phone company, for example, to pursue tribal devotion? That was the question that hit us. So in today's episode, we are going to dig in, think about tools that we use with brands, ask ourselves, challenge ourselves. Should every brand pursue tribal devotion? What the heck is tribal devotion? Tribal devotion is when you can't imagine a world without that brand. Mm -hmm. At least as far as your own allegiance and loyalty goes. The brand that makes you take action that you feel makes your life better. And that's, you know, those are questions that businesses are asking themselves right now. We've had to ask ourselves, you know, what makes... 15.4 as a brand essential and I don't know if the you know the answer to that might not be tribal devotion like for example my toilet flushes I can't live without it flushing but do I have a tribal devotion to the company that made my toilet or my plumber no so should American Standard or Kohler pursue tribal devotion Kohler has some tribal devotion. Their magazine ads, their TV ads, they are a forerunner in new-to-the-world products. Kohler Veil. When technology meets art. John Michael Kohler, an American manufacturing company based in Kohler, Wisconsin. Since 1873, the Kohler company has been improving the level of gracious living by providing exceptional products and services for our customers' homes and their lifestyles. That sounds like a pretty sophisticated toilet to me. They now have bidet solutions that are toilet seat replacements instead of it being a $30 thing that hangs off the side of your toilet. You you can actually buy a $600 heated bidet-empowered toilet seat from Kohler. But they can do that because they're Kohler. They're not American Standard. First of all, their name sounds much more exotic. Kohler, 
we help you cleanse your colon. Anyway, oh, wow. well, hey, maybe we need to bring it back to reality. Brendan Richardson defines tribal devotion as the emotional and behavioral result of a brand genuinely seeking to establish what it is that holds meaning for their customers and then seeking to support those things through their business. So before all these special toilets, how did Kohler develop that kind of tribal devotion? I would say it was through their design aesthetic. They do not look like your standard American toilet or your American standard toilet. You know, sleek lines. You go into a bathroom with a Kohler, you look at the toilet, you say, well, I have arrived. Generally, companies who have a strong understanding of why they exist are better able to project this image, this quality, this triad of things going on that makes people say, oh yeah, I got to get a Kohler. You know what? American standards, sorry, not good enough. Kohler's better. Kohler's better, you know? Kohler, they believe in the power of design and they express it through hardware in your home or toilets or all the things that they do. So if you have a strong belief that design is critical to your everyday life, you're going to resonate with Kohler because that's their belief as well. If you just need a toilet to be transactional, you know, go with American Standard. Yep, because American Standard is known for offering flush assist. It's like the bidet for the toilet. Introducing the first self-cleaning toilet by American Standard, the Act-A-Clean Toilet. Imagine the freedom you could enjoy if all of your household items cleaned themselves. Act-A-Clean by American Standard, the toilet that cleans itself. So one of the first tools that we use to help brands diagnose their current state of existence is the, the standard value discipline tool. We've talked about it before. What is their value discipline? Where are they excelling? Are they excelling in operational excellence, customer intimacy, or product leadership? It's a trifecta. Um, most companies have naturally excelled in one. Sometimes this was an intentional decision because they saw that as their business opportunity. Other times, I think they just kind of fall into one of those disciplines because of who they are, who founded the company, what their original vision was, how they're hardwired, what their preferences are. Companies that have taken leadership positions in their industries in the last decade have typically done so by narrowing their focus on delivering some kind of superior customer value in one of those disciplines, operational excellence, category leadership, or customer intimacy and remember this is not we're not just talking about marketing here um, we're talking about companies that have focused and relentlessly pursued one of those value disciplines yeah so to kind of like just dive into some basic definitions so we can be clear on each of these points of value like steve said there's operational excellence product or category leadership and customer intimacy um, and if you want to visualize, you can Google this image if you just Google value disciplines model or tool. But we often refer to it as a flux capacitor because it looks like the flux capacitor from Back to the Future. Probably because the 15.4 designed version generally looks cooler than the ones that are out there. So if you want the 15.4 version, 
drop us an email and we'll send it to you free of charge. And the idea on this, when you're working on this as a business tool is to map out what your company naturally excels at, what you're equipped to do. And you want to excel at one of these and at least meet industry standards in the other two. So operational excellence means providing customers with reliable products or services at a competitive price and it's delivered with minimal difficulty or inconvenience. So McDonald's is a great example in the fact that they do have a level of customer intimacy and product leadership, but they really excel at this idea of replicating a product over and over in a consistent way, no matter where you are in a very quick period of time. That's what they are known for. Product or category leadership means offering customers leading edge products and services that consistently enhance your use of the product. And so you're kind of known as an innovator. Um, I think that Tesla would be a product leader. They're known for their innovation, whether it's in a car or in a spaceship, you know that they are thinking ahead of the game. Um, We talked about Kohler. They also have an eye for design. They're like always at the trade shows, debuting the next futuristic toilet or faucet. And then customer intimacy means that you take your customer, all of the segmenting, all of the targeting to the furthest degree possible because you care about personalizing to no other degree. So for example, Nordstrom is known within the department store realm as not only being high quality, but they are known, especially in like the past, I'd say five years, their partnership with influencers and high profile clients have pushed out a level of intimacy with their uh, audience to say that they care so much about each person's personal style. They're in the same realm as like Saks and um, Lord and Taylor, but they are pursuing it differently in a sense that makes people feel like they really identify with the brand. So we have seen a rise in this value discipline tool in the past decade or so as we see companies really push into leadership in their in their industry. And we like to bring it up in this conversation because when we work with brands to help them embark on this idea of achieving tribal devotion, we help them see which side of this model do you want to push into and align all of your business processes and resources towards. But what if you have a brand that may be in a market that's kind of mature, there's not really anybody outstanding, what if you're not trying to create a tribe? We really need to break down that question and ask ourselves, should people always pursue this? Should they always look at this value tool and ask themselves, how do I do this to achieve a tribe? I'm not sure. Well, you know, when it comes back to understanding your why, why are you in business? You know, one legitimate driving force could actually be, I want to make money. That is the only reason I'm in business. And I don't care what I'm selling as long as I'm making money. You know, that doesn't sound like a recipe for being a brand that wants to stick around for a while. So for example, we, a client of ours, makes very high quality chargers and cables for all of your mobile devices at home, on the road, etc. They are competing with the premium brands in that space. But if you walk into pretty much any gas station or convenience store, you're going to see a whole rack full of chargers and cables. And they're not designed to be premium or last forever. They're designed for people that left their house 
on a road trip, got to their first gas stop and realized, crap, I forgot my charger. Let me just buy a cheap one from this gas station. They don't have a lot of expectation. That brand is not expecting to be remembered or to have you become super fond of it. They see an opportunity. There's been a space in the market created and now they're seizing on that. Dyson uh, created an amazing fan. It's a circle. You can put your hand through it and you don't know where the air is coming from. It's like, whoa, how does this fan even work? Well, a ton of companies have taken that design, reverse engineered it. They get offshore manufacturing and they sell Dyson-like products on Amazon. And I don't think they care if you know about their brand. They're just wanting a tiny space inside of that market so they can make money. That's what they're there. They could be selling air fresheners for your car or whatever. They don't care, I think. They don't care. Right. And that's like addressing kind of business 101, perceived value versus cost. And when those two line up, you get a purchase. And so that doesn't even involve brand at all. That's just like, what value are we creating? How much does it cost us to manufacture? How much will people pay for it? And they perceive that value. When you line those things up, you create money. Today's shopper has a choice of so many brands, so many brands, yet most of them are so much alike. But one brand is outstandingly different. Like a generic product seeks only to take a small percentage of market share from a brand name product by competing only on price. You know, some generic brands have made being generic their brand. Even if you are going to be a generic brand, is there value in trying to build a little bit of brand loyalty there? There's no risk for a brand to try and be better, to try and elevate their image in the marketplace. If you think about Wegmans, the East Coast grocery store, they actually are really well known for how good their generic Wegmans products are. And so it's kind of an oxymoron in the sense that it is a generic store brand, but they have built up the brand to make the generic products seem appealing. Same thing for Target. They've built up the Target brand, so their generic brand is powerful. But there's a lot of generics out there that just function very transactionally. Like you just need aspirin and you can get it from a generic brand and you don't think twice. But having those generic brands that people do recognize and say, hey, I prefer the Wegmans store brand or I prefer the Target store brand, that kind of goes to show that there is room for disruption even in a market with generics. Just because a market is originally known as kind of like, eh, whatever, it just, it is what it is. Does that mean that there's always room to disrupt and get creative? and think differently. I'm starting to think there is. I remember going to the grocery store when I was a kid, you know, I was like eight years old or whatever. And there seriously was a corner of the store with the generic stuff. And it really was cans with white labels that would say things like spaghetti sauce and black type, you know? And it was like, well, who actually made this? Nobody knows, you know? Um, so that was the super generic. And I think at a certain point in time, product evolution-wise, people said, well, yeah, we're going to start being generic, but we'll be Kirkland or we'll be up and up. There are some brands that have just straight up embraced that idea of being generic. What's a super easy way to tell that your bet is awful? The raw egg test. 
The raw egg test states that the perfect bed will let you put weight on raw eggs without breaking them. Because if a bed can cradle raw eggs while supporting all that weight, it'll also cradle your pressure points while supporting your body from maximum comfort. There are industries that for a long time were kind of matter of fact, they exist, we purchase, that's all it is. Or you just thought it's kind of in a rhythm of how it works and it's not exciting, but we all have to do it. One that I thought of was like mattress companies for the long time. It's like you go to like mattress warehouse or mattress discounters or whatever the department store and you have to talk to somebody and you have to remember to stand your ground because you don't need the $2,000 mattress, whatever. And then all of a sudden you have like Casper and purple and avocado that pop up and advertise on Instagram and on social media and say, Hey, you don't even have to go because we'll send it to you in a box and it's really cool. And then people started filming the mattress coming out of the box and it created this whole disruption in an industry that was originally had no tribal devotion, no interest, and they brought excitement and something different. That kind of challenges the idea of like, can any industry be disrupted with some excitement and some interest? Or are there ones that have to just stay mundane? As the market matures and products become ubiquitous in that space, then you, you, you kind of drop down from being new to the world and, and then you drop from being innovative and now you're just a commodity. You're something that's available. The only hope of breaking out of that is if you can somehow be interesting or exciting or unignorable. Getting a mattress mail order in a box, that's cool. Like, what? That is so wild. What? You can order a mattress and it comes rolled up in a box? That's amazing. Let's have all our friends over and watch a unrolling party. I don't know if they're good or not. I've heard they're good, but I've never laid upon one. Based on those examples of like the earlier ones, which is either generics or things that you were never meant to remember or, you know, products on Amazon that look like Dyson products, but aren't. And then these examples of, of brands that have disrupted an otherwise boring and mundane industry. Do we have an answer? Should all brands pursue tribal devotion? And if not, what are our deciding factors? You know, I don't know if it's worth it for the the manufacturer of USB chargers that sell at gas stations. I don't know. Probably not for them. They're totally, uh, Chuck Starn, I'm stuck and I really need this. That That's how they make their money. But then again, do you really want to show up at a dinner party and say, oh yeah, I make, you know, I manufacture those generic chargers that you can get at the Wawa on Route 1. I have a friend, I used to have breakfast with him because he was kind of a business mentor and he he made his money selling like just cheap in-car accessories like the little air fresheners that clip onto your, you know, your air conditioner vent and you know, okay, he's made a lot more money in his life than me, but you know, that's not really what I want to do. That's not my ikigai. And so um, I think I would say if you understand and desire brand value, brand equity, and you're in a competitive space, you kind of have to give some thought to how do we become the preferred brand and something that people actually want? How do we create 
a community of shared beliefs around what we're doing. We're talking about brand loyalty here. We're talking about tribal devotion. Devotion is a strong word. You know, what does it take to have a consumer base that is devoted to you? And I guess you have to ask yourself if that feels like it's necessary, given your market, given your product, how mature is the market surrounding your product? Because if it's a mature market and you want to stay in business, you might need to create some level of interest, excitement around that product and have a brand, have a conscience for a brand and then set about the work of developing one. Just a thought. I would love for us in the future to think about maybe some tools or a roadmap of like a flow chart of when to pursue, but I don't even know if it's that black and white because the environment is always changing. People are always changing and a market that seemed mundane and boring and not really something to focus on could change the next day into being one. Phone chargers might not be anything exciting right now, but I, I also believe that someone could come out the door tomorrow with a snazzy social media ad that convinces you that this one charger is the one that you should have. And I think that a lot of times in industries that are mature, we don't notice them until they get disrupted. So I'm almost thinking that if you don't disrupt it, someone else will soon. Um, and we live in this, in this age where agencies and creatives are more prevalent than ever. And the ability to reach out and work with one and say, hey, let's create a story out of this. I think that's more accessible than it ever has. Even with even with all the virtual and remote work we all have to do right now, it's still easier than ever to get access to those kinds of resources. So yes, like I think in the manufacturing world, especially if you're maybe more behind the scenes, you like maybe you are the manufacturer of the phone chargers, Maybe you don't have tribal devotion in, in the sense that we picture, but it, then again, if you're in the manufacturing world, you want to be appealing to all the people, all the businesses buying and choosing to use you as a manufacturer. So you might create a tribal devotion in a way that looks different than consumer products. Because if you develop really good relationships and really good processes and really good operational procedures with your customers, they will be devoted to you. That sounded like a really good recap and sign off. Before we go, I would like to just take a moment to commemorate Matt DeVille for coming in on his day off to record this podcast. Matt, we would like to yield the next two minutes to you as a special treat to you, a way of honoring you, recognizing you, for your tribal devotion to this podcast. Matt, the mic is yours. I have no idea what to say. Goodbye. <laughs> the Design of Experience is produced by 15.4, a creative agency located in Charm City, Baltimore. Produced by Emily Wolf, edited and engineered by Sam Otto and Josh Frisch, with story and creative development by Matt DeVille and Steve Smallman. <laughs>